0: over the book, it's easy to see that joy that Paul found in the Philippian believers. You know, we think about joy, you know, by definition is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Joy is a feeling that most of us generally, it's expressed when life is going well. Uh, things are going good, we're happy, we're healthy, life is good, we're very joyful But joy is not usually the first expression or emotion that we feel when things aren't going good, when our health begins to decline or when we've lost a loved one. You know, the feeling of great pleasure and happiness is elusive when things are going bad and they do not seem to be getting better. But this is exactly where Paul's at when he's writing this letter. If we think about he's in a Roman prison cell with his life hanging in the balance Despite his circumstances, Paul can't help but rejoice throughout the, the book of Philippians. He rejoices in Jesus. You know, he rejoices that the Philippians have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He rejoices in the Lord, and he also rejoices in the Philippians as, as people, as friends. He, he loved the Philippians, and we can see that just uh, through reading through the book. You know, he urged them to complete his joy by continuing in the faith. You know, Paul rejoiced that Christ had delivered them from their sin, and one day he would complete the work that he had begun in them. You know, he rejoiced even in the midst of trial and adversity, as we've already looked at. He, he's in prison when he's writing this letter, and so he's rejoicing from prison, even when people are opposing him, even when there's a, a, a sense of grumbling around, and even when there's disunity amongst the church. And so Paul stresses that we should rejoice in the Lord always. And as we finish the book of Philippians this morning, uh, our passage is going to be no different. And our passage this morning is going to be Philippians 4, uh, verses 10 through 23. If you turn there, I will read those verses now. Philippians four, ten through 23. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me because but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In, the, in, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship, and you, Philippians, know that in in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. For not that I seek the gift, but I seek profit that is increasing on your account. But I have received everything in full, I have an abundance, I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory and forever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me send you greeting, All the saints send you greeting, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we're able to gather each week to hear your word read, to hear your word preached. I pray, Lord, that your word would be the focus of our time here this morning. Help us to just put away any distractions of the world. Help us to learn and be edified by your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would keep me from error, keep me from saying anything that would take away from your word. And I pray, Lord, that your son would be honored and glorified and magnified here through the preaching of your word this morning. And I pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in our passage here this morning, Paul is going to provide two reasons to find joy in the Christian life. That's two reasons for joy. In the Christian life. And as we saw in the introduction, the overarching theme here through Philippians is is joy. And up to this point, as Alan has preached through the book, he's done a great job stressing Paul's joy for the Philippian believers. You know, his joy was for their life, their ministry, and their partnership with him. You know, so it's fitting, as we come to the end of the book, Paul just continues all the way through the book and gives two more reasons of, of why he's rejoicing. You know, the first reason for joy that Paul points out in our text this morning is the joy of Christian contentment. The joy of Christian contentment. And the second one is the joy of Christian partnership. So those are the two things that we're going to see, the joy of Christian contentment and the joy of Christian partnership. And so we'll start with the joy of Christian contentment. And as we think about the joy of Christian contentment in our passage this morning, we're going to see three things that help us understand exactly what Paul means here by contentment. And so the, the first of those three things is contentment has nothing to do with our circumstances. Contentment has nothing to do with our circumstances. Look back to verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I do not say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. And so after ver- uh, telling the Philippians in verse 10 that he, he's rejoicing in the renewal of their care, uh, Paul, which we will, will come back to later, Paul begins speaking about Christian contentment in verse 11. You know, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself so I think it'd be helpful here if we just thought about exactly what does Paul mean when he uses the word content here because if you look, if you look out into the world, there are many, many definitions. Well, Paul, the philosophers of Paul's day, especially the Stoics, uh, had a very specific belief about how to find contentment. You know, they believed that contentment meant that, meant that someone was self-sufficient. Uh, you, if you had the ability to live above need, And in abundance, you had, in fact, achieved contentment. And of course, you know, we know that that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not the kind of contentment Paul's speaking of here. Uh, I think about uh, the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs. He wrote a whole book on the kind of contentment that Paul's speaking about. And the book is called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And... I think it was a fitting title then, and I think it's a fitting title now. Uh, it was a fitting title in the 17th century, and it still holds up today because Christian contentment is, is like a rare jewel, right? It's hard to find in the world today. And so listen to how Burroughs defines Christian contentment in his book. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit freely submitting to and taking delight in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Let me read that one more time. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and taking delight in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. And so this is the contentment that that Paul's speaking of that he has learned in every circumstance, as we saw in verse 11. And so the reality that Paul's setting forth here is that contentment, it has nothing to do with our circumstances. Uh, the world says, like the first century philosophers, that more money, more stuff, uh, that will bring contentment to my life. Or, you know, we have people that are way on the other side. We have minimalists who say that less stuff and less money, these are the things that would bring less problems in your life. And so this is what would really bring contentment and so we think about you know where does our contentment come from what is our contentment predicated on the circumstances in our life you know what what do we need to be content a nice house a car you know more children in the house perhaps if you're about to retire less children in the house you know what where is it that we are seeking contentment from you know And so let's just think about that for a second. You know, where is it that you are seeking contentment from? And keep that in mind as we look at the second thing we're going to see in our text this morning. The second thing we see is contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. And look back to the second half of verse 12. Paul continues. He says, In any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And so in all and every circumstance, I have learned the secret to contentment. And so we have a great deal of Paul's life documented in our Bibles, right? We can read through the, the New Testament and uh, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And if we look at the book of Acts, a lot of his life uh, we see is played out there. And so his trials and struggles are well-documented. You know, Ten years prior to writing this letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 4, ten, remember, ten years prior, he wrote this to the, to the Corinthians. He said this of his present struggles. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed and roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our hands. We were reviled. We ble- when we were reviled, we blessed. When we were persecuted, we endured it. When we were slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. And so this was 10 years prior to the writing of Philippians. And so, Paul, we see great trials. And we think about just a few years later, I think four or five years later, uh, Paul wrote the second letter to the Corinthians. And in that letter, he details just some of the physical trials that he's been through. He says this in 2 Corinthians 11. You know, five times I've received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers toil and hardship and many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, coal and cold without clothing, not to mention other things, the daily pressure on me, my concerns for all the churches. And so we see up to this point that Paul's trials and, and his trials throughout, since he became a Christian, are well-documented in scripture. And this was years prior to him writing the book of Philippians. So we, all, we know that those trials did not, cease up to this point as he is in a Roman prison at this point. And so Paul would continue to have a great deal of trials and hardship. And uh, he says in our passage, even though, even though amongst these things, that he has found contentment. You know, So one thing that's not actually well-documented in Scripture is when Paul had an abundance. Right? We see all throughout Scripture when Paul was having hardships and trials, but uh, we don't really have a well-documented case of where Paul was in an abundance. Well, certainly, you know, Paul was treated to plenty of nice dinner parties with the Corinthians that we just spoke of. They were very wealthy. Uh, or in Ephesus, when he was there for two years, certainly the wealthy members of the church treated him, and, and he had an abundance while he was there. And later on in our passage, we'll see Paul even say that he has an abundance now from the gift that the Philippians had given him. And so, <clears throat> when, even when Paul planted the church... Uh, We think about back in Acts 16 when Paul planted the church in Philippi. He went and stayed with a wealthy uh, woman. Him and his whole team went and stayed with Lydia. And so he says in in the text here, Paul, in any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of contentment, whether well-fed or in abundance. And so Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. And we will get to that in the next verse. But I would like to examine a little bit of these categories that he gives after that, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or whether in need. Uh, he, Paul has learned to be content in all of these things. And so, you know, what's, what's our posture when we're facing circumstances like this? Oftentimes, when I'm thinking about, you know, how can I apply a specific text, I think, to my own life? And, you know, what's my posture towards God when I'm well-fed and when I have an abundance You know, when I'm well fed and I have an abundance, the fight for me, and perhaps you're like me, uh, the fight is against greed. Uh, Always wanting more and never actually having enough, no matter how much I have. You know, it's it's a fight against pride and arrogance, you know. Look how well I take care of myself and look how well I take care of my family. And the focus is on me and all that I've done and not on what God, and not on God and what he has done for me. And so, yeah, well, what about when I'm hungry or in need? And you can ask my wife this. Uh, hungry, Kenan, is not the best version of myself. I'll tell you that. that that's something that uh, I struggle with greed in a different type of greed in, in this. The type of greed that I struggle with here is the type uh, that would cause someone to sin, cause me to sin to get what I want, right? Uh, the, struggle with, um, the struggle here is jealousy, and envy over the things that people have, you know, coveting the things people have uh, that I don't have. You know, now I'm not saying all this stuff to put myself down, but I'm just trying to illustrate how finding contentment is is hard. It is it is not it's not something that is easy. There's a reason that Burroughs called Christian contentment a rare jewel, right? Contentment is uh, is something that's it's rarely found. Contentment is something that's learned through life experience. Paul says that here. I've learned that. Paul learned it through all the trials that we read about, and he learned it through times where he had abundance. And so he has the secret of contentment, and he doesn't keep the secret very long. So let's look to verse 13. Uh, in verse 13, we'll find the third thing about Christian contentment, and that's contentment comes from Christ. Contentment comes from Christ. And so verse 13 I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And so throughout history, this has been a very powerful verse. Uh, It was the secret to Paul's contentment in the first century. And in the centuries that have followed, it has helped countless athletes run faster and jump higher. You know, I think about this. There's a famous picture of Tim Tebow. I don't know if you guys know who Tim Tebow is, but just before a playoff game when he was playing quarterback for the Denver Broncos, He's in the tunnel, and there's all this smoke coming around. He's about to run out, and you know, on his eye black, he has Philippians 4.13. You know? So he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And perhaps there's other verses you know, that are taken more out of context, and I'm sure there are. And we were discussing this at dinner the other night, but uh, I think Philippians 4.13 is up there. <laughs> yeah. And so am I able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Yes, of course. Uh, but the context of our passage Paul is saying that that through Christ, he can find contentment in all circumstances. Whether in abundance or in need, it is Christ that gives him the strength to endure and be content. You know, the NIV actually translates this verse, I can do all this through him who strengthens me. And it puts the focus back on what we've already read in verses 11 and 12 uh, to help keep it in some of the context there. And so, regardless of how it's worded, Paul's making it clear that Christian contentment is rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's our, it, it's, if our focus is on Christ, contentment, the kind of contentment that Burroughs and Paul are talking about, is achievable. You know, He gives us strength to be content when we are in need and to be content when we have abundance. And so, if you're here today and, and you haven't trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, you're probably thinking to yourself, that, that this kind of contentment is foreign, and it, it's not something that's achievable. But I assure you that Jesus Christ can provide the contentment that you're seeking. And I urge you that if today is the day to repent and believe the gospel. You know, Jesus Christ came to the earth, and he walked among us. He was fully man, fully God, and he lived a sinless and perfect life. And he went to the cross on your behalf, And there, God placed your sins on him. He was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, he paid the price that none of us could pay. And after he died, he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again, and after his resurrection, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he's currently reigning over all creation. And so Jesus Christ provides this way of salvation, and that's why in in this passage, Paul can say that Christ provides his contentment. Christ is there in his time of need, and Christ is there in a time of abundance. And so if you have more questions about the gospel or who Jesus is or what he has done for us, please find me, find one of the elders. We would love to talk to you more about that after the service. Um, But as we finish up this section, thinking about Christian contentment, how as a church can we cultivate a life of Christian contentment with Christ? How can we as a collection of believers here in Ketchikan, Alaska, help each other find this rare jewel that is Christian contentment? I think it starts with the teaching and the preaching here at Whitecliffe Church. Uh, The teaching and preaching here at Whitecliffe Church is centered on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you show up here every Sunday, you will hear the gospel preached. You'll hear the constant reminder that Jesus Christ is enough. And as a church, we preach that Christ is the way to salvation and that that is why in Christ we can find contentment. As individual believers, we can focus, keep our focus on Christ, right? Keep our eyes on Christ. I think when our eyes wander, our hearts wander as well. And so as believers in Christ, we should all be seeking personal holiness as Alan preached on a few weeks ago. And those who are spiritually mature here at the church Uh, can model what contentment in Christ looks like for those uh, like by living for Christ no matter the circumstances, whether in abundance or whether in need. And so the best way people can see Christian contentment, what it looks like, is for them to see it modeled day in and day out every week in the local church. And so this brings us to the end of the first reason for rejoicing. Uh, We'll move from the joy of Christian contentment to the second reason Paul's rejoicing in our text, the joy of Christian partnership. The joy of Christian partnership. In this section of our text, Paul is going to identify uh, four ways we can partner together. Four ways we can joyfully partner together. Uh, And we'll go through these kind of quickly uh, to get to some application at the end. And the first of the four ways uh, that we can joyfully partner together is generously. We can joyfully partner together generously. Look back to verse 10 that we kind of skipped over at the beginning. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. You know, Paul's rejoicing because the Philippians have been able to renew their care for him. But his rejoicing is not necessarily in the gift that they gave. Uh, he makes that clear in verse 11, but he's rejoicing in their partnership with him. Right? Remember how Philippians started? Paul says this back in chapter 1 at the very beginning of the book. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he said, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in, in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so Paul knows the Philippians, and Paul knows they desire to have a partnership with him. And we don't know exactly why they had to renew uh, sending their gift. We don't know exactly why they hadn't been sending a gift. But we do know from the text that it wasn't, it wasn't out of lack of concern for Paul. Right? The Philippians gave, and gave generously to Paul, when they had the opportunity to do so. And so that brings us to our second thing. The second way we can joyfully partner together is financially. We can look to verses 14 through 16. We can partner together financially. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. And so notice the wording here of verse 14. The Philippians did well by partnering with Paul, and so even though Paul's the one in prison, Paul's the one who is feeling this trial the most. He he sees the Philippians as co-laborers with him because of their support for him. Remember back in Acts sixteen, and Alan touched on this at the beginning of our sermon series. But Paul is in Philippi, is around the year fifty one or fifty two A.D., and he plants the church there in Philippi, and we we see Acts sixteen play out, and then after he leaves, Acts seventeen. Verse 1 through 4 tells us that he went directly to Thessalonica. And so Paul says in our text this morning that the Philippians were the only church supporting him. Look to verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent me gifts for my needs several times. And so the Philippians, I, th- I think we can take this from the text, that they started supporting Paul immediately after he left Philippi. I mean, he leaves Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica, and Paul says here that they sent gifts to him several times immediately after he's planted the church there in Philippi. And so they started supporting him to further the gospel ministry of planting more churches. And so some 10 years later, now the Philippians continue to support Paul through his ministry while he's in prison. You know, Paul was a long-term investment for the Philippian church. They invested in him from the very beginning of, of their church. Their church was planted. They started investing in Paul. And they were faithful to continue supporting him when the opportunity arose. And so, that brings us to our third way. The third way we can joyfully partner together is sacrificially. Sacrificially. Look to verses 17 and 18. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied and have received from Epaphroditus what you, what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And so this is the place where we see Paul say he has an abundance, and also this is Paul points out that it's not about the actual gift that they sent. You know, look back to verse 17. Not that, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that's increasing to your account. And so the word here, I think, I, I did a little research on this. The word profit is, or. Yeah, the word "profit" in this passage is translated differently in a few other translations. I like, I like the ESV. The ESV translates it as fruit. You know, Paul's rejoicing because the spiritual fruit of the uh, Philippians is increasing. Yes, of course, the money that they sent, I'm sure, was very helpful to Paul. You know, the money that they sent, uh, but the money that they sent was never Paul's motive. Paul's motive is to see the spiritual fruit of the Philippians increase, and, and it has, based on the reading of our text. And so I think there's a very real spiritual and eternal significance to living a generous life in our short time here on earth. You know, pastor and author Alistair Begg points out that it's not a bad idea for believers to have an IRA. That's an a individual retirement account. But he also says that believers should have an IEA, an individual eternal account. And this is the account where we store up treasures in heaven and not here on earth. You know, the Philippians were making direct deposits into their IEA with their support with Paul. You know, and look to the end of verse 18. Paul says the Philippians' gift is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. You know, Paul here places the highest possible value on giving. Paul says that giving here is a means of worship. You know, sacrificial giving is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I, I wonder, is, is this how we see giving? You know, do we see it as a means of worship, or do we see it just as a means to an end? You know, I, I know this, <laughs> this is a very touchy subject, talking about money, it, it's hard. Uh, but money and how we use our money is, is one of the main topics of the New Testament, if we just read through it. Jesus taught a lot about money, and we should not t- uh, shy away from talking about it, but You know, if I had to guess, most of us would line up to tell our deepest, darkest secrets before we'd line up to talk about our bank accounts. You know, so, and that's fine. You know, God sees how we are stewarding the money that we have. God sees how we're stewarding what he's given to us. And God knows whether we're using it generously and sacrificially. And that brings us to the fourth and final way uh, that we can partner, joyfully partner together, and that is faithfully. We can joyfully partner together faithfully. Look back to verse 19 of the text. And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we faithfully give because God has been faithful to give to us, right? God supplies for all of our needs. And notice the word needs here. Uh, God will supply for the needs that he knows that we have, not the needs that we think we have, right? The needs, or perhaps a better way to phrase it, the the wants that we think we need may not match the needs that God has in mind for us. We have to remember that, you know, but God is faithful to provide for us everything that we need in life. And so God, Paul, as he comes to the end of the letter, uh, of this letter, understands that you know, he could never repay 10 years' worth of support to the Philippians, but he, he assures them that it's not him that needs to repay it because God is the one who would supply for all of their needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so it's through Christ that God supplied for all the Philippians' needs, and it's through Christ that God supplies for all of our needs. When we think about these four areas uh, of how we can joyfully partner together, Generously, financially, sacrificially, and faithfully. Uh, I think it starts with us as individual believers coming together to support the work here at, at Whitecliffe Church. We're fortunate enough to have Alan as a full-time pastor. Uh, a lot of Alaskan churches, if not most Alaskan churches, have bivocational pastors. You know, so we are very grateful and to come together and support that work. We come, we come together and support Alan and his family, but it goes much further, it goes much deeper than that. Our church is able to give to the Alaska Baptist Resource Network, which some of us are leaving for the annual meeting tomorrow morning. Uh, But through giving that money, that money goes to support the staff there and other churches that are in need in Alaska. As members of Southern Baptist Convention, the money that we give, and Alan taught on this a couple weeks ago in uh, Equipping Hour, the money that we give goes to support almost 3,500 missionaries. Also, six seminaries one of which Alan and I both graduated from. So that money is being used in, in, in great ways beyond what we even know when we're giving. So we give generously and financially and sacrificially and faithfully because as Paul said in our passage, it's a means of worship to God. We use what God has given us to further the kingdom, and it starts right here at the local church level. You know, we know that Christian partnership goes much, much deeper than just gi- the giving of money. I think about, you know, our relationship with Scott Belmore. I think about we've been purposely praying for Scott and his family in London and his ministry, and Alan has tried to highlight him and, and said, you know, go to his Facebook, follow him on Facebook, see what he's doing. Uh, a couple of months ago, Scott needed a pole saw. And so apparently, you know, London is somewhat like Alaska. Sometimes you make... Uh, strange ministry requests, he needs a pole saw. (laughs) And so Scott's ministering to his neighbors through yard cleanup and needs a pole saw. And so we as a church, were able to meet that need. You know, I don't think, maybe by some strange chance, but I don't think any of us are ever gonna meet Scott Belmore's neighbor in London. But because we were able to provide that for Scott, because we were able to to provide for him uh, that need, You know, the gospel is moving forward in London. You know, he was able to share the gospel with his neighbors because we were able to meet that need for him. You know, the Philippians, they didn't know what would happen when they started supporting Paul after he left Philippi. But we know from the whole of this letter as we've preached through it that their relationship, Paul and the Philippians, was a very sweet and tender relationship. And so their giving, the Philippians' giving, helped to sustain Paul through his times of need and even provide him with a time of abundance. And so their gifts help the gospel move forward, just like our gifts help the gospel move forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we were able to look at your word and just finish up this series on the book of Philippians. I I thank you for the time we were able to spend. I pray that um, your word would work on our hearts, Lord, that we would um, go about our day today thinking and meditating on your word. I pray All this in Jesus' name, amen.